Hello and welcome to another teaching from 119 Ministries. Our ministry believes that the whole Bible is still true and directly related to our lives today. If you would like to know more about what we believe and teach, please visit us at testeverything.net. We hope that you enjoy studying and testing the following teaching. In Messianic, Hebrew roots, and Jewish circles, you might hear about something called the Noahide Laws, or the Seven Laws of Noah. There are various teachings and opinions concerning this topic, and we're often asked our perspective on whether or not this concept of Noahide Laws is relevant to believers today. But before we unpack that question, here's a quick summary of the Noahide Laws. According to mainstream Jewish tradition, Many of the instructions contained in the Torah, such as the Sabbath day, festival celebrations, and certain dietary laws, are given only to the Jewish people. But there are seven universal laws that God gave to all of mankind. These universal commandments, according to Jewish tradition, are known as the Noahide laws, or the seven laws of Noah. These laws are referenced in the Jewish Talmud. Our rabbis taught seven precepts were the sons of Noah commanded, social laws, to refrain from blasphemy, idolatry, adultery, bloodshed, robbery, and eating flesh cut from a living animal. In mainstream Jewish tradition, the non-Jews who observe these seven laws are known as Noahides. The Dictionary of Judaism in the biblical period defines Noahides as such. Non-Jews who observe the seven laws that apply to the descendants of Noah, namely, all peoples. According to rabbinic authorities, these include the following prohibitions. Idolatry, adultery and incest, bloodshed, blasphemy, robbery, social injustice, and eating the flesh of a limb cut from a living animal. In the Middle Ages, influential Jewish teacher Rambam taught that Noahites would inherit eternal life on the basis of their belief in the God of Israel and their observance of these seven laws. Anyone who accepts upon himself and carefully observes the seven commandments is of the righteous of the nations of the world and has a portion in the world to come. This is as long as he accepts and performs them because he truly believes that. It was the Holy One, blessed be He, who commanded them in the Torah and that it was through Moses, our teacher, we were informed that the sons of Noah had already been commanded to observe them. In summary, today's rabbinic Judaism teaches that Noahides, that is, non-Jews who observe the seven traditional laws of Noah, will have a place in the world to come. Obviously, this doctrine is not compatible with the teaching of scriptures as it concerns salvation. Whether Jew or Gentile, the scriptures teach that we inherit eternal life by grace through faith in Israel's Messiah, Yeshua, not by our observance of any commandments. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. While we agree that genuine saving faith leads to faithful obedience to God's commandments, Rabbinic Judaism's emphasis on the observance of certain commandments as being key to earning a place in the world to come is certainly problematic. This shouldn't come as a surprise since mainstream Judaism rejects Yeshua the Messiah and the scriptures teach that Yeshua is the only way to the Father. So obviously we are going to differ with mainstream Judaism in our views concerning salvation. 
But are there other aspects of the Noahide laws that are perhaps grounded in Scripture? Not with regard to salvation, but maybe with regard to the expression of faith. For instance, is there any validity to the idea that only the seven Noahide laws apply to the Gentiles, while the Torah's instructions concerning the Sabbath, festivals, and dietary laws apply only to the Jews? You may be surprised to learn that this idea is actually quite popular among certain segments of Messianic Judaism. And that is because they've been largely influenced by mainstream Jewish tradition. But our primary concern as believers shouldn't be what Jewish or Christian tradition teaches, but what the scriptures say. So is there any indication in the scriptures that Gentiles are only to keep the traditional seven laws of Noah? No. In fact, the scriptures teach just the opposite. It's always been God's heart that the nation should draw near to him and come into full relationship with him through his commandments. We see this all throughout the Torah, Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Right here in the midst of the Ten Commandments, we can clearly see that the Sabbath isn't only given to Israel. The sojourner, who is not a native-born Israelite, is also commanded to keep the Sabbath. We see the same thing with the other biblical festivals, Passover, Numbers chapter 9. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to Yahweh according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native. Unleavened bread, Exodus chapter 12. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. Yom Kippur, Leviticus 16. And it shall be a statute to you forever in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. Sukkot, Deuteronomy chapter 16. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. We even see this with sacrifices and offerings made at the tabernacle or the temple. Numbers chapter 15. For the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before Yahweh. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. We can go on and on. It's clear throughout the Torah that God's commandments are not given to the native-born Israel exclusively but are intended for everyone who follows the God of Israel. However, some object to the plain reading of these verses and insist that the stranger or the sojourner in these passages refers to a proselyte, that is, a Gentile who is formerly converted to Judaism. Stranger, sojourner, alien, etc. come from the Hebrew word ger. It is argued that since the Septuagint translates the Hebrew word ger into the Greek proselytos, which came to mean proselyte, that we ought to understand Ger in these passages to mean a Gentile 
who is formerly converted into Judaism. And indeed, it is argued that this understanding has apostolic authority since the Septuagint influenced the apostles' interpretation of Ger, since the apostles often quoted from the Septuagint. First Fruits of Zion is representative of this position. Here is what they've written concerning one of the passages we read earlier. The Greek Septuagint gives us an insight into how the apostolic community would have understood and interpreted the passage. Under the influence of the LXX, the Septuagint, they would have interpreted Numbers 15 verses 15 through 16 to read as follows. As for the assembly, there shall be one statute for the Jews and for the proselyte, a perpetual statute throughout your generations. As a Jew is, so shall be the proselyte be before Yahweh. There is to be one Torah and one ordinance for Jews and for the proselyte who sojourns with you. Therefore, the apostolic era reading of Numbers 15 passage does not help clarify the question of a Gentile believer's relationship to the Torah. It would apply to a Gentile who had become legally Jewish through conversion. In short, some people believe that you're to only keep these commandments in the Torah if you're born Jewish or have become Jewish through rabbinic ritual conversion. However, there are several problems with this perspective. First, while the Septuagint was certainly popular among first-century Jews, including the Apostles, there is no reason to assume that the Apostles would have automatically favored the Septuagint over the Hebrew text with regard to how a text should be interpreted. Second, there is no reason to assume that the Apostles would have always agreed with the Septuagint. It's the same with our various English translations today. We might use a particular English translation like the KJV, NIV, or ESV, but that does not mean that we always agree with how that particular translation has rendered the text in certain places. Third, there is no reason to assume that the Greek word proselytos should necessarily be interpreted as a Gentile who is formally converted to Judaism. Indeed, there are several instances in the Septuagint where this word is used of ethnic Israel. Exodus 23, the English translation from the Septuagint. You shall not oppress a sojourner, proselytos. You know that the heart of a sojourner, proselytos, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19, the foreigner who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. Leviticus 25, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Since the Greek word proselytos is used of ethnic Israel in these verses, it obviously does not always mean proselyte, that is, a Gentile convert to Judaism. Therefore, we cannot assume that whenever the apostles read proselytos in the Septuagint, that they interpreted it as a Gentile convert to Judaism. But wait, there's more. Isaiah chapter 56, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to Yahweh to serve him and to love the name of Yahweh, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. What's interesting about this passage is that the Hebrew word for sons of the foreigner is Benai Hanachar. In the Septuagint, this is rendered Alegenes, which literally means another race. 
the passage indicates that God desires these foreigners to keep the Sabbath and bring offerings to the temple, which are commandments that the later rabbis believed to be only for the ethnic Jews and proselytes. And yet, the translators of the Septuagint did not use the Greek word proselytos here. So even if we accepted the faulty premise that proselytos necessarily means Gentile convert to Judaism, it still wouldn't logically follow that only ethnic Jews and proselytes are to keep certain commandments, since in the Greek Septuagint, Isaiah 56 applies these commandments to the non-proselytes. As we can see, God's heartbeat is not for only Jews, but also Gentiles who draw near and keep the Sabbath. Isaiah 56 even says that God desires the Jerusalem temple to be a place for all nations to come worship. Therefore, insisting that the Sabbath belongs only to the Jewish people is to exclude those people who God himself wants to bless with his day of rest. So the Tanakh, the Old Testament, is pretty clear that there is one God-given standard for both Jews and Gentiles. No concept of so-called Noahide laws that is evident anywhere in the text. Rather, verse after verse appears to affirm the opposite. But did something change in the New Testament? Some have suggested that the apostolic verdict in Acts 15 verse 20 parallels some of the seven Noahide laws and perhaps reflects an earlier version of them. Acts 15 verses 19 through 20. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. Based on this passage, it is presumed that an early version of the Noahide laws existed in first century Judaism, and that the apostles actually affirm the idea that Gentiles need only to follow these laws. If you're interested, we take an in-depth look at Acts 15 in our teaching, Acts 15, Obedience or Legalism. Right now, let's consider it is reasonable to assume that the Noahide laws existed in the first century. This doesn't seem likely when you learn that such a doctrine did not even exist until the 4th century AD, and probably much later. In his peer-reviewed academic paper on the subject, Messianic theologian Tim Haig writes, The earliest clear reference to the Noahide Laws is found in the Tosta. The Tosta embodies the additional commandments and commentary to the Mishnah, traditionally thought to be gathered together by the 4th century CE. However, there is no clear historical evidence that a body of rabbinic halakha, later known as a Tosta, existed as a recognized authoritative standard in the 4th century CE. And it is very likely that such a collection of halakhic formulations and discussions was not a published reality until much later. In this paper, Haig goes on further to prove through the rabbinic literature that the Noahide laws didn't even function as a set of commands given to Gentiles for righteousness. This idea did not even come about until centuries later. Haig writes, Nowhere in the early rabbinic literature is there contained the teaching that Gentiles who live in accordance with the Noahide laws however they may be formulated, are reckoned as righteous, given a legal status within the community of Israel, and therefore have a place in the world to come. Such an extrapolation is found only in the later rabbinic teachings, such as that of Rambam. To the extent that the sages developed the Noahide laws, they did so to develop halakha for social interaction between Jews and Gentiles. Thus, since the modern concept of Noahides and mainstream Judaism didn't come into this scene until many centuries after the first century, it's impossible for such a concept to have influence in the first century debates about Gentile Torah obedience. Egg writes, 
Interpreting the Edict of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 on the basis of the much later Noahide laws is both anachronistic and a misunderstanding of the function of the Noahide laws in the post-destruction emerging rabbinic Judaisms. For not only did the formulation of the Noahide laws await the post-destruction era, but even when they were formulated within the rabbinic theology of the much later centuries, they did not function as a separate body of laws given to Gentiles as a means of attaining a righteous status, nor even as an actual code of ethics for Gentiles. It is wrong, then, to conclude that the Jerusalem Council gave the Gentile believers a minimal list of commandments, exempting them from the full expression of God's will in the Torah. As we can see, Acts 15 gives us no basis for adopting the modern Jewish concept of Noahide laws in our expression of faith. In fact, the New Testament in other places completely affirms God's desire in Isaiah 56, that the foreigners would draw near to God and fully obey His commandments, including the Sabbath, festivals, and dietary instructions. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, Yeshua affirms even the least of God's commandments in the Torah. And in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, He commands His disciples to teach all nations everything He commanded, which would include even the least of God's commandments in the Torah. In conclusion, those who suggest that the modern concept of the Noahide Laws should have relevance to us as believers are basing their views on modern rabbinic tradition that was invented many centuries after the New Testament. The scriptures teach against the modern concept of the Noahide Laws and that God desires all people, Jew and Gentile, to fully obey Him. Our final authority ought to be the scriptures, not Christian or Jewish tradition. We pray that you have been blessed by this teaching. Remember, continue to test everything. Shalom. It is because of you, our generous supporters, who make it possible to offer these high-quality teachings completely free of charge. If you feel led to support 119 Ministries so that we can continue this effort, please visit testeverything.net and click on the Support 119 tab. Learn how you can partner with us to take the whole Word of God to the nations.